The time is 9 o'clock and you're listening to CHMA 106.9 FM in Sackville, New Brunswick. Hello and welcome to Tantramar Report on CHMA 106.9 FM and chmafm.com. We're broadcasting from Sackville, New Brunswick, the heart of the Maritimes, on the traditional and unceded lands of the Mi'kmaq people. I'm Erica Butler. It's Friday, October 27th. On today's show... We had uh, someone come in and inform us that we had a deer go through one of our windows and into our building. Associate Pastor Danny Barrett of the Main Street Baptist Church never thought he'd be dealing with the aftermath of a break-in by local wildlife until on Wednesday a deer, when a deer smashed through two windows in the church. That's coming up, along with more on this from the Senate committee looking into the risk to the Chignecto Isthmus posed by rapid climate change. But first, some news and information briefs. Food Banks Canada has released its annual hunger count report, and the news is not good. Across Canada in the past year, food bank usage went up 32% compared to March 2022 and 78.5% compared to March 2019. In New Brunswick, the province has seen a jump of nearly 25% usage this year over last and a jump of 34% since 2019. That doesn't come as a surprise to Heather Patterson, president of the Sackville Food Bank. Patterson says that in 2020-2021, the local food bank welcomed four new families. The next year, in 2021-22, there were 50 new households. The next year, 71. And so far this year, with the winter yet to go, the Sackville Food Bank has welcomed 73 new families. They've also added a community cupboard where users are not tracked or counted. Food Banks Canada says that according to their survey respondents, the top reasons people used a food bank this past year were food costs, housing costs, and low wages or not enough hours of work. The largest portion of users were on income assistance, but a growing number, 17% this year, reported employment as their main source of income. Another worrisome trend is the number of children who are clients of food banks. In New Brunswick, where about 17% of the population is under 18, a whopping 34% of food bank clients are 17 and under. Food Banks Canada's report includes a long list of recommended actions to address the problem, including measures to rebuild Canada's social safety net and create an income floor, and also measures to address the supply of affordable housing. Memram Cook Tanchamar MLA Megan Mitten gave notice of motion this week in the New Brunswick legislature calling for a rent cap in the province. Whereas the increasing cost of rent is exacerbating the affordability crisis that many New Brunswickers are facing, whereas housing is a fundamental human right and affordable and stable housing is essential for the well-being of all New Brunswickers, whereas a temporary rent cap was implemented in 2022, whereas the Hicks government is failing to protect tenants from unaffordable rent increases, whereas a permanent rent cap can provide a long-term solution to protect renters from excessive <coughs> rent increases and create stability in the housing market, be it therefore resolved that the Legislative Assembly urge the government to establish a permanent rent cap. That's Megan Mitten speaking on Wednesday in the New Brunswick Legislature. The motion is due to come to the floor on November 2nd. It's not unusual to see deer in and around Sackville, but the Main Street Baptist Church had a close encounter with one such animal on Wednesday afternoon that was somewhat out of the ordinary. CHMA called up Associate Pastor Danny Barrett to find out more. So I I gather that you 
had some uh, recent bad luck at Main Street Baptist, but an unusual type of bad luck. Can you tell us what happened? <laughs> uh, I think unusual is certainly the word for it. Um, myself and uh, the other pastor of the church were in our church office, which is separate from our church building, the main building, uh, yesterday afternoon, and we had uh, someone come in and inform us that we had a deer go through one of our windows and into our building. And that was not something that uh, I have ever been told before or was ever expecting to be told. <laughs> I, I mean, I guess the first thought that comes to your mind is this poor animal. What what must have been, uh, what must it have been thinking? Um, so it but it broke through uh, glass windows. That's what we're saying here. That's right. Yeah. Well, I, I didn't see it. Um, in fact, I don't think anybody in the building knew of it at the time. It was the people outside. Uh, but yes, it broke through uh, one window, uh, two panes of glass uh, on the Union Street side of the building and went in through one of our large rooms. It actually ended up crashing into, as it came through the window, it knocked over a stack of chairs that were on the other side, and more or less continued straight through the building, uh, through another room, and out a window on the other side. Um, Did it do much damage? I mean, obviously, those are broken windows. Was there further damage besides that? For the most part, no, uh, other than lots of glass that need to be swept up and cleaned up and uh, the uh, the two windows on either side that we've got boarded up for now until we can re- get uh, them replaced, um, it uh, did almost no other damage. It, it went really, uh, or just about, straight through the building. Now, I hate to ask, but is, is wildlife break and enter something that's covered under the church's insurance policy? <laughs> To be honest, we have not looked that up under our coverage. We're pretty sure that we can uh, take care of getting the windows replaced, uh, probably cheaper than our deductible. So uh, we we, we have not gone that route. Um, And no sign of the deer since then. Is that right? Correct. Uh, We checked. um, uh, I think we were in the building probably five or ten minutes after it went through. And uh, uh, after our initial surprise and shock wore off, and so once we went over and, and was looking at uh, what happened, we also looked to see if the deer was in the area, but uh, there was no sign of it still being around. Main Street Baptist Church, for people who don't know, this is you're not sort of um, out at the edge of town. You're sort of pretty central. Correct. Yeah, we're in view of Town Hall and the fire station uh, between there and the hospital, so it's a, it's a busy road on Main Street and um, not, not particularly quiet. Uh, have you noticed wildlife around the church in the past? Not deer. I, I think the only thing I've seen is a groundhog uh, just at the edge of the property or some raccoons, but um, not not on the church property, although um, I personally have seen uh, deer uh, just around town more recently. Um, my daughter and I were out practicing some driving the night before, and we saw them uh, down around the retention pond and over on uh, Bridge Street. But uh, no, not we, we haven't seen them in and around the church property before. That's Associate Pastor Danny Barrett of the Main Street Baptist Church. Experts had predicted an increase in the deer population this year due to last year's mild winter. In 2022, the estimated deer population was about 160,000. 
An expert in the history of the Tantramar Marshes spoke at a Senate committee this month looking into the state of critical infrastructure, such as the Chignecto Isthmus, in the face of climate change. Ronald Rudin is the author of Against the Tides, Reshaping Landscape and Community in Canada's Maritime Marshlands, a book which documents the long environmental history of the maritime marshlands, including the story of the Maritime Marshland Rehabilitation Administration, which was established in 1948 in order to reconstruct and fortify dike systems surrounding the Bay of Fundy in New Brunswick and Nova Scotia. As Rudin told the Senate committee, the MMRA was created in response to the deterioration of dikes and the disastrous flooding that came with it. The infrastructure that failed in the 40s was due to a whole variety of economic circumstances that led to the farmers being unable to keep up the dikes. But the point is that we have glimpsed, we have seen this before and, um, and we saw it without something as dramatic as climate change. You don't have to be a historian to know that uh, sea levels are rising um, and that uh, we have to somehow uh, re- uh, jig the system in order to accommodate challenges it didn't have before. So from my perspective, what they did in the 40s when they rebuilt um, using uh, heavy machinery to replace manual labor, when they rebuilt the dikes in Abateau, they were facing something that was actually quite minor in a sense as compared to what we're facing now. So um, it's, it's clear that uh, we have a problem that isn't going to go away. Um, and we need to use, to, to sort of return to my answer to, to, to the previous senator's questions, I mean, we need to use all the tools at our arsenal in order to be able to deal with this, uh, and not simply um, the building of, you know, higher and stronger walls, but also considering uh, the use of uh, marsh along the shore to help blunt the impact of um, of the of climate change and the higher and stronger tides are coming. One of the questions being considered by the Senate committee is that of the responsibility for the protection of the isthmus in the face of climate change. Rudin explained that in 1948, the federal government bankrolled the MMRA, partly because it could, it could afford to, and partly because it had already taken on similar scale environmental projects in the West. There's obviously, uh, you know, jurisdictional issues. Um, but the experience in 1948 uh, was that only the federal government had the resources to really deal with the problem. So, I mean, they could have taken the view um, that it really was the problem with the province, for the provinces to deal with, but the provinces, by their own admission, didn't have the resources in order to rebuild the dikes in Abato. And so the federal government took on the responsibility because it was the only the only level of government that had the sufficient resources. Uh, in that particular context, they paid the, the total bill for the rebuilding of the dikes at Abato. The provinces worked with the farmers to keep up the drainage ditches on the inland side of the um, of the dikes, because if you didn't do that, then the water couldn't get out and the whole system was pointless. So, um, you know, in a, in a, without thinking too much about jurisdictional matters, which I guess I can do, uh, maybe you can at your end, but uh, it seems to me clear that the federal government has greater resources than the provinces, and that if we wait for the provinces to find the resources uh, in order to solve, you know, this kind of major uh, 
problem, um, we may not be able to come up with the best solution. Just as in 1948, I guess the provinces and the federal government could have had, you know, lengthy discussions about how they could divide the bill. Um, ultimately, uh, the decision was made in part because it was already a precedent, I guess I should say, that, you know, the Prairie Farm Rehabilitation Administration had been created in the 1930s in order to save land in the prairies. So it wasn't the first time that the federal government had had seen that it had a responsibility uh, to um, support to support uh, projects that were too large for the provinces to be able to handle on their own. So I guess my view would be that the federal government should take a lead role in all of this. That's historian Ronald Rudin speaking to a Senate committee on critical infrastructure in the face of climate change on October 17th. Senators also asked Rudin to weigh in on the debate over how how protection of the isthmus will be addressed. Rudin's book on the MMRA is critical of the organization's eventual technocratic approach, which led to the building of a causeway across the Petticodiac River against the advice of other scientists of the day. Rudin seemed to indicate that that pattern risks repeating today, especially when it comes to nature-based solutions to tidal control. My conversation with my colleagues is that uh, this this knowledge, this research has largely been ignored. Um, certainly, it's my understanding that in Nova Scotia, uh, when various options were uh, placed before the public, that the more natural solutions uh, were pushed to the side. Um, and I think, and this is why I think that the research that I did on Maritime Marshland Rehabilitation Administration is pertinent because it's precisely a kind of point of view that the MMRA engineers had that it was necessary to build higher and stronger uh, without considering other possibilities that got us into the mess that we were in on the Petticodiac River. So if we use that as a cautionary tale, I think it it suggests that maybe we should take more seriously um, the research that exists and the experts are out there. Um, who aren't historians, but are people who actually um, work in the field. Um, but I, I, my impression is that this is not being taken as seriously as it might be. That people think that if you don't build some, you know, tall, strong structure, that you're leaving us vulnerable, and we're ignoring the possibilities that exist by using more natural solutions. That's environmental historian Ronald Rudin addressing a Senate committee looking at the impacts of climate change on critical transportation infrastructure. That's it for Tanchamar Report for this Friday, October 27th. Thanks to the local donors who support the station and the Local Journalism Initiative for funding local news reporting throughout Canada. Get in touch with CHMA News anytime at news at chmafm.com. I'm Erica Butler. Thanks for listening. My name is Adam, and you are listening to CHMA 106.9 FM in Sackville, New Brunswick. And now the weather. Today, a mix of sun and cloud, 30% chance of showers earlier this morning, fog patches dissipating earlier this morning, high of 18, UV index 3 or moderate. Tonight, partly cloudy. Becoming cloudy after midnight with 30% chance of showers, 
before morning. Fog patch is developing after midnight, low of 11. Tomorrow, Friday, cloudy. 30% chance of showers early in the morning, clearing late in the afternoon. Fog patch is dissipating in the morning, high of 17, UV index 2 or low. Friday night, cloudy periods, low of 10. Saturday, a mix of sun and cloud, high of 22. Saturday night, cloudy periods, 60% chance of showers, low plus 1. Hello and welcome back to the late morning show on this rainy Friday morning. You just listened to the Tantramar Report with Erica Butler and the top of the hour weather with Omver. I am your late morning host, JC, and you are listening to CHMA 106.9 FM in Sackville, New Brunswick, Voice of the Marshes. The time is 9.16 a.m., How about we take a short music break and be back with a few local announcements for you all. So up next for your Friday morning listening, Canadian-based Latin fusion group Los Duendos with their song Coleslaw.
That was Canadian-based Latin fusion group Los Duendes with their song Coleslaw. I'm your late morning host, JC, and you are listening to CHMA 106.9 FM in Sackville, New Brunswick, broadcasting to you all of you lovely CHMA listeners live from the third floor of the Wallace McCain Student Center. And now, for those local announcements I promised you. The first one. The Sackville Curling Club is hosting their annual Christmas craft show and dessert cafe on October 27th, that is today, and October 28th, that is tomorrow. Head to 22 Lansdowne between 11 a.m. and 7 p.m. today, or between 10 a.m. and 4 p.m. tomorrow to support the fundraiser, interact with local artisans, and maybe even win a handcrafted door prize. General admission is $2, and kids under 12 get in for free. Also... Tuesday, October 31st, is Halloween, so you know what that means. It's Halloween. Up until the 31st, join the Atlantic Wildlife Institute for a variety of fun Halloween-themed events around Sackville. The Atlantic Wildlife Institute is a nonprofit that provides medical care to injured wildlife. You can support their mission by applying your Halloween knowledge at a trivia night, uncovering your inner detective at the Sackville scavenger hunt, or creating a spooky jack-o'-lantern at their pumpkin carving event. For more details, please head to the Atlantic Wildlife Institute's Facebook page at Atlantic Wildlife Institute. All right, last local announcement for now. CHMA will be hosting a CD sale during the regular drop-in information hours on Saturday, November 4th from 1 to 3 p.m. Stop by the CHMA headquarters on the third floor of the Mount Allison Student Center and see what awesome CDs, CHMA merch, and equipment we have for sale. Staff will also be available to show you around, answer any questions you might have about radio, podcasting, audio production, or getting involved with your local community and campus radio station. All right, and that about does it for the local announcements. For now, I will gi- I will give you a few more updates later on. Um, now, back to the music. So up next, we have Louis Short. We have a Louis Short song, actually, from the album of the same name. So here is Good To Me.
smiling Don't try to 